everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I'm Taylor Rockwell. Uh, no Daryl Grove on today's episode. Today's episode was recorded yesterday, Saturday, July 4th. Uh, instead of Daryl Grove, I talked to Jeremy Ibobasi, uh of the Portland Timbers. He joined me from a hotel room uh, in Orlando, and we talked uh, about many, many different things, including what it's like to be in the bubble, about the Black Players Coalition, and about what he would like to see in terms of change in the United States going forward. Uh, many topics discussed, so I will stop introducing and instead say, Jeremy, how is that hotel room so far? You know, it's uh, the hotel room itself is comfortable. Uh, the the atmosphere is a little bit um, unnerving, I would say. You, you hear a little bit of rumors here and there about uh, what is possibly not going perfectly to plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, I think it's about everyone doing their own individual responsibility and hoping that uh, that element of luck falls our way as well. Uh, so that we can we can do what we're uh, put here to do, mm-hmm. and, and that is uh, play the game and, and play it in a healthy way. And what has been the process like since you've been down there? Is it a lot of sort of quarantine time in, in your room? Is there much like social interaction, and how much training is going on as well? I, I got down here last night, and immediately before we got to our rooms, uh, we got tested, and then from the moment we got tested, uh, we from the moment we got tested, we came up and straight, straight into quarantine. Uh, so I haven't been out of my room in the last 12, 15 hours until our test results come back. And from that moment, uh, we have a little bit more mobility. We're allowed to trade, I believe. But again, it's, it's, a, it's a process and, and we have to take it seriously because we've seen, uh, we've seen uh, some, some unnerving staff, as I said. Mm-hmm. I haven't uh, had to take a test yet. Uh, from what I understand, it is not a very pleasant experience. Uh, what is it like, and is it as uncomfortable as I've heard? I would say it's all about the proctor. <laughs> the, I remember the first few times I was hearing rumors, and some of my friends were like, it's the worst thing you've ever, you'll ever do. Ah. I'm like, come on, that, that, that's, a, that's a little dramatic. And then I got to my first test, so I got mentally prepared for just excruciating pain. Then I got to my first test, and it was very, very smooth. The lady at Providence walked me through it and was very gentle, and I was like, I can do this every day. And then, unfortunately, I learned the harsh reality eventually. Oh, no. uh, Not all of them were like that. Uh, (laughs) But, yeah, it's it's manageable. Not to be dramatic, it's, it's very manageable. And then with the with the quarantine that you're undergoing right now, like how are you staying busy? How are you fighting boredom? Well, luckily, I've only been in quarantine here for about 15 hours, and most of that was uh, during my, my sleeping time. Mm-hmm. But right now, I'm just watching Premier League and hoping that the tests come, come back quickly. Yeah. You know, we could have as soon as a less than 24-hour turnaround with the test results, and once that's the case and we get on a regular testing schedule, we, as I said, we have that freedom of movement a little bit more. Well, I'm excited to talk a bit to you about like when games are actually happening. But before then, I wanted to talk to you about the Black Players Coalition. Uh, you're on the board of that organization, uh, which has more than 70 MLS athletes uh, announced on Juneteenth of this year. What has been the reaction since you all went public from fans, from media, from MLS officials? Yeah, it's been it's been humbling, honestly, to see the outpour of support. Uh, I think we all came together knowing that we believed in our cause, that it was time for us to to stop fighting these battles individually and and to put together our platforms, but to see the warm reception, you know, from fans, 
some former players, especially uh, from the league and and organizations all around the country, uh, it's been, as I said, humbling and knowing that we're not on in this fight alone because any any push for equity takes uh, the large majority of society. So we we look forward to keeping uh, the positive reception going and to holding those accountable, making sure that they understand that it's not just about supporting us when we announce, but it's about supporting our initiatives. And we're, we're still figuring out exactly how that process is going to go and how we want to put together our bold ideas into play. But ultimately, they might require some fundamental realigning of our institutions, be it within the soccer community or in our in our residential communities. And we expect the same level of support, uh, even if it comes with some healthy skepticism, uh, we do expect that support. And how is the process in ter- uh, like of determining how you want to move forward? Like, how are you all undertaking that? Because from my understanding, this started off as like a nine player group chat, I think on Instagram, like, how are you all sort of organizing and communicating, especially during these times? Yeah, I think the, the communication part is, is becoming both one of our biggest challenges, but also one of our biggest strong suits. Uh, we, we have been organized in large part through Quincy America, who, who has taken the lead and making sure that we were able to meet on a consistent basis with the whole player pool. Uh, and, and also the rest of the executive board taking the initiative of creating notes of meetings, recording calls when necessary, uh, just making sure that everyone had, had a debrief of whatever was going on the the organization has been moving at lightning speed since juneteenth and that's a testament to the reception that we got that, that we got the kind of attention that we have received and that has allowed us to make uh progressive strides into just formalizing the way that we want our organization to operate and i still think that that's going to be a, a work in progress hopefully over the next few weeks we can really be solidified and start to start to introduce some initiatives, but it, 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 as I said, it's a work in progress and we're, we're just excited that, that the momentum is there and that there's a lot to capitalize on. And then in terms of the goals of the organization, I know you listed uh, three of them in the introductory press release, uh, but I wanted to maybe let our listeners know about what the goals are and then what changes you think could happen most readily and which ones you think will take much longer. Yeah, I think we want to highlight the voice of the black player in MLS. Black players have felt stifled in the past. I felt uh, like their voices haven't been listened to or worse, that they've been listened to in a performative way where no no action comes of it. So uniting behind this platform and, and making people engage with our voices is very important. And then addressing the lack of diversity within major league soccer in our front offices and our and our coaching staff that's something that's really important to us speaking to former players and listening to their experiences trying to get front office jobs has been uh, a, a little bit alarming we, we've always known that it was the case but to see such qualified players struggle to get in the door uh, it, it doesn't bode well for our own futures if, if that's the path that that we that we seek so we want to make sure that that, that that's addressed and then we, we want to talk about our, our own individual markets as well, especially. And this is where I believe it'll take the longest. I mean, the community initiatives and the change we want to see 
uh, whether we're talking about education, um, which is something that the, the group is very passionate about, uh, we're talking about addressing the inequities within the education system. And normally that's something that the government is supposed to be uh, taking charge of local and state governments. But frankly, we've seen an absence of leadership in, in that regard. Uh, and, and with that void, we hope that private organizations can, can partner with us uh, and the nonprofits that have been doing the work and make sure that you know our, our black youth have opportunities to succeed within the classroom, uh, especially given the challenges that COVID-19 have presented, uh, making sure that the tech gap isn't something that's further, uh, further expanding the achievement gap. So we have long-term, we have long-term plans on, on that front and who we partner with is going to be very important as to how we undertake that. But in the short term, I, I think we can really dial in on the diversity, the lack of diversity within our uh, front offices. I know the GMs and, and the CSOs are, are very eager to, to address that. Uh, we've had a, an open dialogue with them and they understand that it hasn't been good enough and we look forward to working with them. As I said, that's the only way it's going to, it's going to come down, but that's not something that's going to take a lot of money or a lot of fundraising to, to get across. So that's something that we can get working on immediately. Um, a couple follow-ups there. Uh, initially you said black players uh, have felt stifled and I'm wondering is that from like a systematic thing or is that more like what you talked about in your medium piece of people just being like, Hey, like lighten up, like let's focus on soccer. Let's not focus on these heavier issues. A little bit of both. Uh, for me individually, I would say the, the latter, especially, mm-hmm. uh, but also you know, you, when we talk about black voices, black personality, there are very few players in this league, black players in this league who, who would say that, they have not been mischaracterized as having an attitude, uh, having personality problems uh, to just generalize because of the way that we have acted in certain scenarios. The, the leash on a, on a black player and the margin of error in how we behave is non-existent. If we lash out once, if we make a negative comment, it characterizes our whole personality. And that happens at the youth level, that happens in college, that happens in professional soccer. So that's something that we want to highlight the beauty of our personality, uh, the, the culture. Um, that, that's really important to us. And we hope that that translates into, you know, our, our, our diverse personalities being respected as opposed to forcing us to continue to wear this shield every time we step into professional settings where we can't be ourselves, where we just have to be very neutral, where if we hear something we don't like, something that's racially charged, we just, we just hold our tongues. Um, this is all important to us. We want to be a voice for the black players in major league soccer that they feel comfortable coming to uh, when there are these problems as well. When you feel like, 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 if you personally are getting mischaracterized as like, oh, being a, like difficult to work with, he's got an attitude, whatever. Like, how do you handle that, and how frustrating is that? Because I imagine if your actions are being mischaracterized and then sort of put out into the public, that would be a very, I don't know, that would make me pretty furious. And I'm wondering how you are able to kind of handle that and move forward. Yeah, I consider myself 
lucky because I, I, I was able to learn um, from, from the older players as soon as I came in uh, and also just having an older brother and knowing his experiences within the, the world, the real world. Um, I always knew that any, any misstep would be, uh, would, would put me into the angry black man category. And so because of that, again, I, I tried my best to avoid any, any potential action that could be spun in that regard. And that's not to say that other people who do the same thing don't still get mischaracterized, but I've been lucky to, to, especially in recent years, avoid that, that stigma. But what that does, even, even in being able to avoid that stigma is that it builds up a load of stress and that stress is taken out when no one sees it because again, it, it can't be, it can't be shown publicly. And so when you're alone, it, it boils up and everyone reacts to it differently, but it's not a healthy place to be at all. Uh, and, and that's why we, we believe so strongly in making sure that as black players are understood, because again, as I said, there will be very few players who haven't gone through what I've just described of stifling it completely to the point where, yeah, maybe you might avoid the characterization, but it takes a toll on you when no one's looking or just, being bounced around from team to team because yeah we're tough to work with and I, I can see the rage in people when when they're in a setting that they feel comfortable being themselves knowing that they're not going to be judged how much of of that like of that feeling of that frustration then factors into the creation of the black players coalition because i can imagine a scenario in which you all are sort of as you go from nine people to to 70 people it being a lot of like yeah i've experienced that oh you've experienced that well then we should sort of unite so that it we don't just get the like lone angry black man narrative it becomes a sort of unit that can sort of work together is that a sort of motivating op- or motivating factor there 100 percent. there's strength in numbers when we talk about this kind of this kind of criticism from from the outside and finding almost solace and in, in the solidarity amongst your amongst people that look like you is something that you know reminds you that you are who you are and that you're proud of that and that you're not alone. Um, so that that's what we're about. We're we're about protecting each other and supporting each other. And we look forward to to putting that together and 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 marketing the everything we have to offer as people. Uh, because oftentimes, again, we're reduced to you know our athletic ability. Literally on the field, we're reduced to just being physical specimens or athletes. Um, and then personality-wise, again, we're, we're reduced to, oh, he just plays sports. Oh, he's just a professional athlete. You know, he's not a smart business owner or, or he's not a, a politically astute uh, human. So we, we, we want to put that platform together to, to really highlight who we are as people. Much more still to come from my conversation with Jeremy Ibobisi. Uh, but first, I wanted to let you know that this episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Policy Genius. Shopping for life insurance can raise a lot of questions, uh, like how much coverage do you need? Which insurance company is the best for you? How much should it even cost? And at a time when it's more important than ever to have life insurance, the pandemic is making it a little more complicated to shop for it than ever. That's where Policy Genius can help. As a life insurance marketplace backed by a team of experts, Policy Genius is keeping track of all the changes in the market so you don't have to. They'll find the right amount of coverage at the best possible price. 
without the headache. Nobody needs a headache. And with Policy Genius, you don't even have to worry about that. Uh, they will compare quotes from top life insurance companies in one place. It takes just a few minutes to compare quotes from the top insurers to find your best price. This doesn't just save you legwork. You could save up to $1,500 or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. So if you need life insurance but you're not sure where to start, head to policygenius.com. Policy Genius will find you the best rate and handle the process completely. They'll get you and your family protected and hopefully give you one less thing to worry about. So try it today. That's policygenius.com. Thank you very much to Policy Genius for sponsoring this episode. Now back to Jeremy. And then when you mentioned addressing the uh, inequalities and equities in the education system, in terms of the long-term work of the organization, how much would you like to see that on the field in terms of education and getting more players involved versus how much would you like to see it in classrooms and kind of moving away from the field being more societal and like trying to fix things that exist in our culture, in our society as they exist right now? Yeah, I, I don't think that's my decision to make. <laughs> um, we have we have a, a busy, busy board and an equally eager player pool. So I think it's about, me personally, I would like to see both equally, uh, both with equal time devoted to them because the, this world is greater than our sport, but ultimately we are our binding factor is that we play soccer together mm-hmm. um, and we, we want to make it a better environment for, for the youth coming up. Another, another pillar that I didn't get to it was that we want to improve the, the connection of the sport within the black community uh, and invest uh, soccer resources within the black community as well. Uh, ultimately it's going to be about who's interested in what, you know, and being able to divide our resources and and keep passionate voices where they're passionate that's how we're going to establish in which direction we go um, and when we talk about in, from an educational level um, we we want to influence the education system and show black kids black youth that you know the society cares about uh, the inequitable system that they currently have to have to succeed under Mm-hmm. Um, but we also want to go about educating our peers as well um, on the history of this nation and why there has to be an urgency to um, to overhaul uh, some of the regulations and institutions that have contributed to the further entrenchment of of the of systemic racism. Um, so. I, I've mentioned this a couple of times, but strategic partnerships are going to be super important from the nonprofit side because it would be naive to think that we have all the answers or that we can find all the answers through um, individuals that we work with. Uh, it's going to be about a lot of highlighting uh, of those nonprofits. I like Equal Justice Initiative a lot. I think they've done a lot of narrative rewriting um, as far as the Civil War goes. You know, there's been a, a rush to romanticize the Confederacy and and their cause and trying to make sure that it wasn't one that would upset the public. Uh, and, and we've seen so many of their monuments erected um, long after the Civil War, frankly, during Jim Crow, mm-hmm. in order to remind Black people of their place in society. Um, but then there's, and so Equal Justice Initiative is maybe an important one. Um, and then... I also want to highlight a, a youth group out of New York City called Teens Take Charge uh, who are fighting systemic racism and the inequities within the New York City school system, which 
is as segregated as pre-Brown eras, um, I believe. So the people don't recognize those numbers and people don't recognize that, yeah, we've made a lot of progress, but ultimately through that progress, we've seen immense backlash, backlash from people who would consider themselves very progressive, very open-minded. Uh, and so we've seen the, the systems revert to to times that people would claim to be ashamed of. So we need to highlight these nonprofits doing, doing the pivotal work. Uh, since you mentioned the monuments, I'd like to talk about like your thoughts on what progress looks like, specifically about symbolic change versus systematic change. Uh, so we record this show in Richmond, Virginia, the former capital of the Confederacy. Uh, they started taking down the monuments this week. And like that was, for me growing up in Richmond, that was the thing I never thought was going to happen. So in that moment, it's this very exciting thing. It feels historic. It feels like progress. But then there is that idea that like if you're taking down the symbols but not changing the structure that led to those symbols being in place, are you actually doing that much? And are you just sort of making it more comfortable, which is a thing I think you you covered pretty well in your medium piece. So I'm wondering if you see the removal of those types of uh, symbols as a sign of things are moving forward, or are we prioritizing the value of those symbols too much? You can't remove the symbol. You can't remove the symbols and and call it call it a day and and claim that uh, that you know you've created such such substantial progress that uh, you can take a break from addressing the inequities of the system. If if it's between one or the other, then I would take the system changes over the monuments. But at the end of the day as well, we have to remember that symbols are powerful as well, um, especially for for those who've grown up uh, and have seen those symbols representing everything about their discrimination. You know, some of the older generation Amer- Black Americans um, who who identify with those symbols in a stronger sense than maybe some of us younger ones, and especially me as an immigrant might, um, we have to respect the, the power of those symbols. And so take them down, but that, that, that's, not a, that's not a path to, to stop mm-hmm. addressing systemic racism. That, that's as simple as it gets. The, the, the monument should have been taken down a, a long time ago. The fact that they're just happening now in the wake of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery is a, is a problem to me. And I, I don't want to be too too critical because, again, pro- people people progress on their own time. But this is this is the easiest climate to, to take that down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, I don't want to put too much value on something that shouldn't be shouldn't require that much thought. So. Like uh, in that medium post, uh, it's not meant for your comfort, which I think is one of your your pinned tweets. So people should read that if they haven't already. You you sort of go into how we've been here before with Trayvon Martin, Sandra Bland, Michael Brown, uh, Philandro Castile, uh, countless others. Uh, f- like from my perspective, and emphasizing that it's my perspective, like this does feel like a bigger movement than we've seen before in the wake of the murder of George Floyd. Does this feel different to you, or do you feel like we are still at risk of everybody posting their thoughts on social media and then considering everything resolved? There, there is a little bit uh, of difference here for me. I think the international tension has been one of the bigger differences. The international movements I think Black Americans have this connection to 
to black people all over the world, to the entire diaspora, um, whether we're talking about in Africa, the continent, or, you know, in, in some of these Western countries that have a lot of similar practices, frankly. Um, so the solidarity worldwide is something that has, has given me a little bit of light in this uh, difficult time. But ultimately, I, I still stand by, you know, the cynic in that piece and the, the idea that at some point we will return to full normalcy. I, I'm see, I've seen the beginning steps. And listen, I don't expect everyone to post on social media for the rest of their lives. But I know when people have put something completely to bed and won't address it until the next time that they're forced to. And when people have just transitioned their social media platform into something that's more sustainable, something that maybe is more behind the scenes. You know, I've seen a lot of quotes about there being different lanes to activism, and I couldn't agree with that more. But I also believe that to the people who have been on the wrong side of these issues for, for decades, to the people who have vilified the Trayvon Martins, the Tamir Rice's, the Sandra Bland, the countless others, for me, those people don't have a choice. They don't get to pick their lane of activism. They need to, they need to let the world know exactly how they're, how they're changing their views, how they're unlearning their history that has, that has perpetuated such harmful statements and ultimately um, harmful advocacy to the black community. Uh, these people need to, need to stay in the public light and they need to understand that, you know, they've got a lot of work to do to, to gain our trust. Mm-hmm. Um, we progress is progress is a, is a difficult thing. You know, it doesn't happen on its own. And the reason why we've seen a lot of local governments take action is because of how strong, you know, the movements were at the ground level. But the second that those unsustainable um, protests, demonstrations fade away is the second that, those elected leaders who who maybe want to take the easy way out feel that they don't have to continue to engage mm-hmm. with the demands of the protesters. So my hope is that the the activist groups leading it on the ground find a good way to transition the the day to day demonstrations with uh, public facing um, campaigns that that let these politicians know that. You know, a couple of days of progress or a couple of weeks, of, a couple of legislative bills aren't enough. You know, that, again, this is going to take uh, at times overhaul, mm-hmm. um, changing a lot within the systems that we've come to accept as normal. But, you know, just because I, I saw a great quote on Twitter a few years ago, so I can't remember exactly, but it said, just because we can't imagine a world in which the systems that we live by, um, don't exist doesn't mean that we should stop pushing mm-hmm. to get towards that world, and that's that's how I would epitomize uh, these moments. So lots of teams, uh, pro teams, amateur teams, what have you, uh, posted on social media. Um, some have not said very much since. And in terms of working towards that goal, working towards towards that sort of dream, how do you think teams could be better in their outreach to the black community? Because I think. From my interactions with teams, from my experiences with teams, I think they tend to take a sort of uniform approach of like, we're going to do this initiative to get more people into the games, or we're going to put like, put out like, you know, free soccer balls into the community. But I think 
uh, to I think an earlier point you were making that like if if your board is entirely white, then that uniform approach is generally going to be geared towards a white community. And I, I'm wondering if you have ideas or thoughts on how you think teams could go about better incorporating the black community to get them more engaged in soccer and then to continue the dialogue from there. Yeah, I think there's a lot there's a lot in that question, which is good. Um, first of all, you, you mentioned if the board is fully white, um, you're going to have certain decisions made that aren't uh, reflecting on what needs to be done. And that's why we talk about getting black people, people of color, diverse voices across all spectrum into positions of power so that we're not making those mistakes um, of overlooking our communities, whichever they might be. Uh, the result that we've seen um, from, from organizations with lack of diverse voices is one of show up to this place, take a picture, and then don't come back until the next picture. And that's something that's unacceptable. Something that, you know, black players have had to hold their hold their tongues on, you know, since they've been in the league. But now we feel very comfortable in saying that that that, that can't be a thing. That in and of itself it is one of the fundamental reasons why we don't have change um, it's a little bit insulting too frankly that the black community is a photo op to pretend like organizations are involved in uh, addressing the inequities in society but again that that's that's why we're here we're here to hold people accountable and create sustainable initiatives and so for me that looks like uh, we would like to see courts and fields built, public courts and fields built in these communities. And we'd want to see the clubs show up on a consistent basis. I, I've spoken to, you know, some people within my organization about, you know, what uh, a community program would look like on an education level and with Timber's involvement on the soccer level. You know, we're in very informal talks, but the point is that these ideas are being bounced around uh, and consistency is the theme. I remember sitting down with my community relations vice president um, during Black History Month, and I, one of the first things I told her, I think it might have been a few months before when they were planning, one of the first things I told her was, I don't want this to be about one month. This isn't a month. Black history is American history. So how can we create a platform that that continues year-round? And I think we had created a good, a good starting plan, but... Through COVID-19, uh, which frankly would have been an opportunity to stand by that platform, given that the disparities the Black community was facing, Black and Brown communities were facing, were were devastating. Uh, we were faced with the natural business distraction of our league being uprooted, um, but but we're we're finding our place back to back to that platform. Um, so so that's important, and then. You, the first part of that question as well was talking about kind of these statements being made. Um, the statements are a start, but, you know, you, you have your statements that range from, you know, Ben and Jerry's who, you know, have been very aggressive on their social media and very specific in what they see as the problem. And then I can't think of one off the top of my head, but you've had infinite other organizations that have, uh, that have denounced yeah. 
in the most general of terms. And so we, we see that. We, we understand that that means that they don't want to take a stance and we, that doesn't give them the, the social media credit that, that they're looking for. So I just want to put that on the record too. Yeah, I think like uh, like I think it's the Charlotte Independence owners statement was something like, I'm sorry if my comments were misconstrued as being offensive or like like it was not a not at all a like a concession or a I don't know, like a an admit an omission that they were going to change. It was more of a like, I'm sorry you were offended. So I think, yeah, you kind of have those two very disparate reactions and it can probably be difficult for people to know exactly who is genuine and who is not. But I guess I can, I can take solace in buying Ben and Jerry's and maybe, maybe that's a way to cope with the sort of stress of the situation as well. Maybe you could do that as well. If you're in quarantine, I don't know if you're allowed Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Yeah. I think, uh, as long as we're in quarantine and not leaving our room, I think people are pretty flexible with what, what we're eating <laughs> in moderation. Um, but, but to your point, I would say to not knowing who's genuine and who's not, it's about who, who's, trying to follow that up, mm-hmm. you know, who, who is setting systems and processes in place so that two years from now, when I guarantee the public will have forgotten who is going to be happy to be doing the work, you know, who's going to make it such an ingrained mission of their organization that when it's no longer socially expedient, politically expedient, economically expedient, especially the latter, because a lot of the initiatives we're talking about, you know, might not necessarily see direct returns. Um, who's going to still be doing that work and who's planning for that right now? That, that's how I would analyze it. And that's how I'm trying. That's how we as an organization are trying to uh, prepare or prepare our partners um, to make sure that, again, they're, they're here for the long haul because we're going to be here for the long haul. We don't have a choice. You know, a lot of the players within our coalition have kids and it shouldn't, it doesn't take someone having kids or someone feeling close to the situation to demand change. But unfortunately, um, in this country, especially with non-black people, that's, that's the only way that, you know, people actually understand what's going on. And I'm assuming that, like, in terms of the long-term fight, the long-term struggle, the Black Players Coalition will be uh, front and center. If people want to sort of read more about what you all are doing or stay up to date as things develop, is there a way that they can do that? Or for now, is it sort of listening to the individual players who are involved, following them on social media, and sort of learning from there? I think right now the best way is to follow the players who are involved on social media, whether you're talking about the, the executive board who's you know, involved on a, on a more consistent basis or just some of the players that in your individual markets who might be doing some stuff specific to that market. I think that those are two, two very distinct voices that are under the same platform. Um, eventually, we are going to have a website uh, and we are going to have a more uh, a less sporadic social media presence um, as a group. This is all part of our organization building. Uh, and so you will be able to see exactly who we are, um, what we're doing, how we want to how we want to put pressure on the public to join. Um, ultimately, as I said, any any mission, any fight against systemic racism has been won because we've had unrelenting coalitions across race, across age, across gender spectrum. 
that's what it's about. So, so we look forward to, to keeping the public tuned in on what we're doing, and, and we look forward to, to their support as well. All right. Well, Jeremy Abobasi, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to chat with me today. I know you've got a lot of uh, quarantine, quarantining still to go, but uh, I hope it goes well, and I hope the restart goes as well as it can. But I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to chat with me today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You know, it's important to have these platforms to discuss these difficult issues, but we're all in this together.